Don't talk about red side, sleep when I'm dead. Sleep when I'm dead. Sleep when I'm dead. Motherfucker wanna come through tripping. Listen, I'ma rip it, I'ma come through. Welcome everybody to Trivia Show. I'm here with Travis and Chris. And joining us again for the third time, friend of the show, friend of the network. Uh, you've probably seen him on The Food That Built America at this point. Um, as as a as a food critic, which is awesome. Congratulations, by the way. It's good to see those steamy awards are paying off. I love it. Uh, I can't believe it's been about eight or nine months already since we had you on. The one, the only, Bill Oakley. How you doing, man? I am doing great. It's glad I'm glad to be back here. I still love your shirt, which I wear. Wear the True Exact Radio shirt every week, and I drink out of your mug. I drink vodka out of your mug <laughs> at night. I love it. Hey, Thank that's you guys. what. It's great to be back. That's what it's there for. Just vodka, straight <laughs> alcohol, whatever you want. Coffee, I don't even know what that is. All right, Bill, before <laughs> we get going, uh, I know you got a lot of stuff going on, so we'll just have some questions for you. But you did want to plug uh, your steam, what was it, Steamed Ham Society. So explain that. Yes. Yes. Okay, so this is a basically an online club for people who are into food. That's a, that's a simple bottom line thing about it. Like, we, people, a lot of people like to post, I, I know that this is a niche thing, but a lot of people like to post photos of their food or talk about like, hey, I found this incredible sandwich when I went to North Carolina, you should try it when you go, things like that. Or like, did you try this new thing from Burger King? It totally sucks. Things like that. So it's a place for people who want to talk about stuff like that to hang out. And we have a discord, which goes 24 seven with stuff like this in everything like, and it's not just like, you know, it's like anything from snack food to like fancy recipes. It's like all sorts of stuff like that. Then there's also, there's a live stream that I host every month, which is kind of like a talk show where we talk about food stuff. There's a newsletter, which I write talking about what's happened in food in the past month. And then at the higher levels of the club, there are things like there's a lot of merchandise. There's other things. There's a, like a special Simpsons chat thing. Um, and then there's other, even at higher level, people with a lot of disposable income where <laughs> we hang out on Zoom, have a cocktail party, and I send you a box of my favorite snacks every quarter. So for people who want to, you know, people, even if you don't have a lot of money, spend $5 a month is the cheapest level. If you want to, if you, it's a lot of fun, uh, go to steamedhamsociety.com and sign up. I think you'll like it. All right. Perfect. And once cool. again, in classic Bill Oakley fashion, always throwing shots at Burger King. He finds a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> finds a way to do it, no matter what. Oh, I got a lot of more stuff to say about Burger King, but I want, I don't want to take over your podcast with food talk. We'll save that for the steam camp society, yeah. but that's uh, but there's boy, there's a lot of stuff to talk about in the Burger King universe these days. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, first, we'll get into some Simpsons stuff here. Um, I remember it's been two years since we had you on just to talk about the writing format and whatnot, but uh, you promised to come back and thankfully you did to talk about certain episodes. So I do want to get into the who shot Mr. Burns one. Um, this is obviously one yeah. of the classic episodes of all time. Uh, just if you could go over like the thought process of making that the season finale into the season uh, beginning the next year, was that like the plan initially or was it supposed to end after one? No, that was the plan initially because, I mean, this whole thing was just a copy of Who Shot JR, which is way before your time, all, all you guys and probably all your listeners. But in, let's just say in the 70s to in the 80s, there was a show called Dallas starring Larry Hagman, which is a primetime soap opera, which was the biggest rated show on TV. One year they had a cliffhanger called Who, which, and it was called Who Shot JR. And the mystery was Who Shot JR, JR being Larry Hagman. And then the season ended. And then all summer long, all America was talking about. Who was it? Who was it? And then the fall, in the fall premiere, it was revealed. So this was exactly like that. Um, and it wasn't even our idea. When I say our throughout this entire thing, I mean myself and Josh Weinstein, who's my writing partner, producing partner. Um, this was actually Matt's idea 
Matt Groening came into our office one day and said, why don't we do some sort of stunt like uh, who shot JR, you know, who shot Mr. Burns? And we were like, hey, that's a great idea. And so Josh and I made up the whole story for it. And then we, you know, we took it to the writers and the executive producer, David Merkin at that time, we fleshed it out more. And it was, I mean, it was obvious from the get-go that it was going to be a two-part thing because that was the whole point. It was exactly, it was copying uh, Dallas, what Dallas did. Now, were you aware that Vegas had odds on who shot Mr. Burns? Okay, this is fake. This is fake. I'm so glad we get to debunk okay, this. Okay. Go for it. Because so I glad. thought it was real. I really thought it was real. Because well, you, you don't think if, if Las Vegas had odds on who shot Mr. Burns, don't you think I would have been in there? That's true. Making a fortune? I would have immediately driven to Las Vegas. But every single cent I had, <laughs> and, and, and it's like, that's why in America, it's illegal to bet on things like that. In, in America, you can't bet on things where that, like you can't bet on non-sporting events where the outcome could be known to someone. In England, it is, as a matter of fact. So in England, mm. I think they did, in England and Ireland, I think they did actually have odds on, on who it was. But I don't think it was like, I don't think you could bet very much money. You could probably bet like $2 or two pounds okay, or whatever, two shillings. <laughs> and then, um, but in the Las Vegas odds, they actually didn't have those odds. What they did was they put it up on the screen in, I think it was Caesar's Sportsbook for that special that there was a, there was a one hour special before who shot Mr. Burns um, that was that hosted by John Walsh before the, the finale. Um, and so there was just a lot of like celebrities speculating about who it was. It was not done by the show. It was done by the Fox promotions department. And one of the things they did was they went to Caesar's. I think it was a Caesar's Sportsbook, but it might've been the Mirage or something to just put this up on the screen in the sports book. And they did it for that one shot. That's the end. I'm sorry to de debunk your, your, your story, okay. but that's what happened. So if I may, I, I wanted to like actually ask about that America's Most Wanted episode because it was like, uh, you know, I, I was watching that episode when I was like seven and I was like getting ready for the mm -hmm. finale. And I guess that America's Most Wanted episode popped up before the show started. And it was like, I'm seven. So like, I don't like fucking know what's going on. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Like, why is John Wall and like everyone's taking it so seriously and like, like the joke completely went over my head when I was a kid. So I wanted to know who's like, was that from um, uh, you and Josh's idea or is that like uh, something that somebody from Fox came up with to like have an America's Most Wanted tie in or something like that? I'm I'm 95 percent sure that it was the Fox Network that did all that stuff. I don't think that like I think that the the showrunner at that point, David Merkin, probably assisted them a little bit. Mm -hmm. But in general, we only did the stuff that was the show. We only did the show. We didn't do promotional stuff. And Fox wanted to make a big event of this, you know, to get the milk the ratings out of it and stuff. So I'm I know that the Fox Promotions Department did that whole thing. And they may have had a little assistance from the writers uh, or from the showrunner, but I, I don't think so. And then I don't think I even watched the uh, the premiere that night because I was like, oh, I guess I got to wait till next week because I don't know what the, like this is taking up the time <laughs> slot. So I think I turned it off or something at that point. It was like, oh, it's America's most wanted. There's a special on America's <laughs> most wanted or something. So it, I, it was just it was just an attempt to hype up the thing and also whatever they had at that time at the seven o'clock slot wasn't doing all that well. So it just, it was just filler. It was uh -huh. promotional filler material um, that they made. And they did a lot of stuff like that. I mean, all summer long that summer, there was a pretty good amount of like hype about it. And like Seven Eleven, there was like those cups at Seven Eleven, there. And they, they did a good job. I mean, Fox, in, we had our arguments with Fox all the time, but in terms of promoting that thing, they did a good job. Except obviously the contest, the contest, which was such a colossal clusterfuck that um, they ended up having to just pay the person 
off who won. You know, it's like, I won't, it takes an hour to tell the story, but if you listen to the DVD commentaries, they had a contest with 1-800-COLLECT. This was back before phone service was like right. the way it is now. And you wanted to make a collect call. You could choose what carrier you wanted to use. So you'd use 1-800, where they were trying, 1-800-COLLECT was one. And you call, you make a collect call. It, it's hilariously antiquated now. Anyway, this promote the contest was with 1-800-COLLECT. And they, um, suffice it to say, they couldn't find anybody who had even the most right guess. Even the person that they finally awarded the thing to wasn't a Simpsons watcher, so it didn't want to be animated on the show. So they just paid that person off and, and suddenly yeah, ended the contest. The end yeah. Yeah. That's I remember like the TV guides having like the Who Shot Mr. Burns thing on it and stuff. Now, um I I know that obviously Maggie did it. Was there I there was supposed to be someone else who did it or was Maggie the first Yeah, Barney. Yes, me and Josh wanted to be Barney. Here's what happened. This is like this is also covered in, in the, the DVD commentary, but um Josh and I, the original plan was for it to be Barney because Barney had already gotten tired the, the drunk jokes had already gotten a little tired with Barney, and we were like, Well, what if we send him off to jail? And he comes back a couple seasons later and he's all different. Um and so we went to the, the story conference, which is where all the writers get together with uh, Matt and, and James L. Brooks. And Brooks, you know, has a real sense for this stuff because he was like, well, it should be a member of the family. Like, it's the show is The Simpsons. And, like, Barney is such a random person who has no connection to Mr. Burns um, that it would just be kind of a random act. And uh, we were like, that's kind of what we wanted. But I, James L. Brooks suggested that it had to be someone in the family. And, like, the least likely subject was Meg. And we thought that was dumb because we were like, well, that's a baby. It will be an accident, be coincidence or whatever. And then, and, but, but he's the boss. I mean, he's the owner of the show, James L. Brooks. So we went back and the writers were all sitting around and David Merkin suggested, well, we said, we don't like it that, that it's a baby that did it by accident. And he's like, well, what if it wasn't by accident? And then we realized that thing at the end that Maggie did it intentionally was what convinced us that it would be good. Um, and so that's the thing. And it's all literally just in the, her eye darting at the end you know, uh, that, that conveys that, but that was the reason that I think it's better. It is more, it's more faithful to the spirit of the show that it'd be someone in the Simpson family. And she was probably the best because she's the least likely. Yeah. Right. So I actually had a question with, um, so the clip show, I guess it's at the end of season seven where it's Troy, uh, the Troy McClure clip show. Yeah. So he shows a bunch of other clips where it's like 10 other characters shooting Mr. Burns. Was that like, legit thing or was that was that like a legit thing where you guys were uh, had the animation just to like throw people off the scent or is that yeah just like that's exactly what it was okay no that was exactly what it was we did that there was a lot of security around i mean for the simpsons there's a lot of security around this thing like nobody knew the script was not distributed like the only the writers in the writer's room and um and harry and harry sure knew who it was and david silverman who was oh. the head animator um and because the script was only distributed we never distributed the last 10 pages of the script to anyone they're all shredded then david merkin recorded two endings with harry one of which appears on that in that thing that you're talking right, about they, which is where smithers, smithers did it smithers did it and it's just like oh i actually did do it after all and it's like a lame and they just improvised that in the sound studio but we animated that fully and we animated the maggie ending and then all for all those other ones those eight ones, I think it was you shot Tito, Tito Puente and sent us a little yeah, helper it and a poo. It's like yeah. We animated Tito those because and... those, we wanted to throw off people who might, you know, guess among the animators. 
And okay. there's hundreds of animators, both in America and in overseas. So we animated those, just those brief endings. So nobody really truly knew what the real ending was. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I really like it when, you know, funny shows like The Simpsons or, you know, like A Family Guy or like something that you don't really expect to get into like a deeper kind of a storyline takes over and they do a two-part episode because, you know, you really expect it to be, you know, 20 minutes, you know, you're in and out, you get your laughs in, you're at Sunday night with your family. And then now you're putting in something like this or who shot JR, you're doing a spoof on it. And I always love to see like how people are conveyed. Like, I don't know who Homer was supposed to be and who shot JR or cause I've never seen that, but I like how everyone always had like, a I haven't either. <laughs> serious reaction they're like they're like oh i, I want to shoot him because you know he took my job or they're taking the son away and he's just like he doesn't know my name like i find that so yeah. funny because like everyone has to be that is, probably the yeah most that's totally well, he, the show that thing that was easy the, the, you know the harder part was getting people like tito puente and barney to have a motive to shoot him or principal skinner um and and so yeah but that you're totally right it's very hard the reason that that's not done is it's hard to do because mm. like the show these shows um I always found that when sitcoms um, did one hour long episodes, they just weren't very good. And what I'm thinking back to is episodes, things like MASH, old, in the old days, MASH, Seinfeld, Cheers. They like the show, these shows are constructed, and The Simpsons the same way, are constructed to be half hour shows. Just the way that the shows, the stories are told, the size of the story, the scope of the story, it starts to wear thin after like 35 minutes. Right. And so, very few places have done. I mean, I, I know Family Guy has done it um, in more recent, more recently, and South Park has done it. But it, it's it's hard to construct an hour long story that that stays interesting and funny. Not even that. Not even interesting and funny. But you brought up like Mash and stuff. I even have trouble because one of my favorite shows ever is The Twilight Zone, which obviously like The Simpsons takes stuff from it and then do some spoofs on it. I even have trouble watching the hour long Twilight Zone episodes. Like I, I, I hear you. Yeah, I enjoy just the 25 minute, like the how to serve man or like time is not enough to where like one one commercial, you're into it. Like the hour ones, you're just like, oh, my God, like this, this yeah, is we get it. You <laughs> yeah. know? It's like how much. Every TV show is too long these days. That's what my opinion. When I it's see like a so movie now that's an hour and 50 minutes, it really takes me a lot to watch it. Like, to me, it's like hour 30 minutes or less. That's what I want, you know? Totally. I mean, I love movies. When I see, when we, I want to get to see a movie and it's like an hour and 20 minutes or whatever, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the right length for a movie. That's and for a TV show, like, every drama show is now like 85 minutes an episode. And I'm like, you know, Law & Order did pretty well being 48 minutes an episode. And because it's like, it's, you know, 48 minutes a show, 12 minutes of commercials. I'm perfectly satisfied with that. I don't need to see an hour and a half long episode of your drama show every week. Right. And to Chris's point, what he said with doing the two part, I think what, what was key to it was it wasn't continuous. You had to wait a summer. I think like that is yeah. really cool. And I'm not sure if a cliffhanger for a cartoon has been done since that I could think of maybe Cartman's mom. Remember which was literally the same yeah, setup. Yeah. Like it was know, like, like basically Cartman, the same Cartman's kind of dad. They didn't know who Cartman's dad was. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is really cool. Did you expect it to take on a life of its own over the summer, like it did? Yeah, I think so. Even more so than I. Th I think we expected it to be big. Yeah, because that was like, I mean, The Simpsons was pretty big, but you have, it's hard to remember back at that time that Simpsons wasn't that big. Mm -hmm. It's really a weird thing to remember because the Simpsons was huge in 1991, 1992. 
like it was in the top 10 shows on TV and there was all that merchandise, you know, the, <laughs> underachiever and proud of it. You couldn't get away from it. But by the time that we were getting around to season six, season seven, The Simpsons was always like number out of the TV shows. You know, there's a hundred TV shows on every week back then. The Simpsons is like number 52. Um, so, and it's hard to believe too, because like The Simpsons has so outlasted so many of those shows. But, you know, on Sunday night, we never won. We never won at Sunday night. We always were beaten by Mad About You on NBC, which in retrospect is like, what the fuck? That, I couldn't <laughs> believe that that was happening even then. But, mm. but uh, anyway, so the show was not like, I think we got, I think we were number 18 that week or something, but it still wasn't like we were the number one show on TV. Yeah. I always thought that people should be appreciating the Simpsons more than they were at that time because, and, and kids were appreciating it, but people over like 30 were still in the mindset of like cartoons are for kids yeah. at that time. They really were. And then, but like, look at it. It's been 30 years since Mr. Burns. Who yeah. shot Burns, And most of the, I, and you do other work. Like I'm not taking away from you, but like most of the interviews you do maybe about the Simpsons, right? Still to this day. It's a, well, I mean, it's a, it's a singular thing. No, you know, two, maybe two TV shows have run that long, like, you know, Meet the Press and Saturday Night Live and The Simpsons, and that's it, you that's know, it. have run that long. So it's a singular thing. Um, and I'm happy to be associated with it. I'm happy that people remember the stuff that we did so fondly. Yeah. So, and yeah, and I can, you know, and then I can continue to get, <laughs> make hay out of it by, with things like the Steamed Ham Society. Yeah, that's, that's another thing. I know, I don't know if them just want to touch on it, but like um, the Steamed Ham Society, the Steamed Hams clip, I don't know if we went over it the first time we talked you say you mentioned that only took on a life of its own the past 20 years right like yeah the last um uh, eight years as a matter of fact eight years so when did you just wake up one day and we're getting these notifications like wow all this stuff yeah. popping up out of nowhere yes it's there's in fact i won't tell you i won't go into all the details but this some reporter from this online magazine called mel magazine did a colossal history of the whole thing which is very well written and explains basically what happened is it started in Australia when people were calling their supermarkets and asking for steamed hams like as a prank and the supermarket got on board and like started making these funny videos and like putting up signs in the supermarket that said, we don't sell steamed hams. We do sell ground beef. Like then it took on this thing. I started getting notifications about that. Then people started remixing them. That was the thing that really kicked it into overdrive was when people started remixing it on YouTube. Yeah. And there have been literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of incarnations of it, many of them with millions of views. And that's like, that's what kicked it into overdrive um, until finally in 2018, it was the internet meme of the year. Like you couldn't get away from it. And now I think it's trickled off. People remember it, but it's not like it doesn't have the same, it's not taken over the internet. Like it had, it did four years ago. Uh, Bart versus Australia. How did yeah. that get, I know we talked about Chaz Waz's last time and how there was like a book you just happened to like grab and find that word or, or something like that. It's been a couple of years. I don't remember the specifics, but how did the writing on that one go? Like, cause you mentioned like Homer needed an enemy with Frank Grimes, but like how did Bart verse Australia? Why the country Australia? Okay. There's two different ways that this came about and it was real, all came together real fast. Um, one was that you you know a lot of the if you, you know the episode the way the episode titles are on the Simpsons, they're often very simple like Bart the Lover or right. Bart versus Thanksgiving, right? And there are a number of Bart versus Bart versus Thanksgiving, uh, I don't know Bart versus blank, right? And and at one time me and Josh were like, well, what's the biggest possible thing that Bart could be versus? And we're like, well, what about an entire continent? <laughs> and then we're like, hey, wait a minute. And then this was also around the same time that that kid 
in Singapore was getting caned. I don't even remember for this. There, this was a news story uh, in like 1994, There was an, I think he was an American or maybe a Canadian teenager who had gotten caught. I don't remember if he was vandalizing something or he spit I gum, on, he the put gum on something. And it was, yeah. Like, and it was they like that real seriously. In yeah. It got like, yeah, it became, like he spit and the gum punishment, on like a light pole or something. And like, you know, he got like tackled and arrested by the police and then you got caned for it. Yeah. Like, it, it was, was like, news. yeah, you got like, ex, you got like 20 lashes or something like that. And they, so yeah, in Singapore, the punishment for whatever the crime this kid commit, teenager committed is caning, you know, which is being whipped with a cane and, and on your butt, I guess. And so like people were shocked number one, that this was going to happen to an American or Canadian, as well as the, how, how brutal and <laughs> rather primitive that punishment seems. So we're like, oh my God, that's perfect. It just like, it immediately came together in a few minutes. We're like, Bart versus Australia. Well, what if Bart was playing the role of that kid in Singapore? And it happened in Australia. And then, and then, and then the writers, the other writers contributed stuff too. Like, I think that Josh and I originally had it that he was going to be keen or spanked or something like that. And the boot, I think it was Dave Merkin who came up with the idea of the boot. And then the rest of it was like, it was pretty simple to write story wise, because it really is just a story of Bart commits a crime in Australia. He has to go to Australia. They're going to cane him. He gets out of it. Like that came together probably in a couple of hours. Um, but then they, all, the, every, all the other details are just every Australian corny stereotype you can imagine. Yes. Like, because yeah. you guys don't remember this probably as well, but like in around like in 86, 87, there was a huge Australian trend in America, like it started with Crocodile Dundee, the movie Crocodile Dundee. Um, and then there was also a lot of other stuff, like there were commercials and there was Olivia Newton-John had a store and there was Yahoo Sirius and there was Jocko who advertises. Anyway, for, for about 18 months, Australia was the thing in like 86, 87, 88. So, but then it had declined and the joke was the Australians didn't like that we no longer, you know, this is covered in the episode that, so we just loaded the episode with, with every corny stereotype you can imagine about Australia and tossed it in there because also Australians are generally having good senses of humor. And so we thought that they would appreciate it. Um, the funny thing is since then, at the time, I don't think they appreciated it. I think most people were pretty mad in Australia and we got hundreds of letters from kids, school children who were like, why did you say this about our country? Like teachers oh. are making them write us letters. Uh -huh. um, but since then, I think that they have all fallen in love with it. And now like it is a very, like they sell those flags. They, they like those flags with, with the butt, with the butt being kicked. Yeah. Like anytime there's a biggest, a sporting event or whatever in Australia, you see people waving those flags and like, there's just like, they've embraced it. Um, which makes, which fills me with joy. Yeah. What makes that episode so good. Is it like, yeah, like you said, it's inc the, the plot you could, it can be covered in, you know, 30 seconds in terms of just what happens, but it really, you guys are just doing joke combos after like over and over just on Australia and everything you can, and you just pack it to the brim and then uh, they get, they get away on a helicopter and leave. And it's just, yeah. 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 There hadn't been, I don't think had the Simpsons been overseas by that point. I don't remember. I know that there was briefly Homer went to the, to India for the quickie Mart thing, yeah. but I don't think there had been, I know they had done one or two travel episodes, but I don't think, We've been overseas, so we also were able to throw in every other overseas thing, including like the Viet, you know, the helicopter stuff is all Vietnam War. A lot of that is Vietnam War stuff, right? Like, yeah, the embassy the, like, and the helicopter evacuation of the embassy, and so like we were able to toss in a lot of stuff about overseas travel, including like the time zone change and and the you know the, the frog, the 
tree cane toads or whatever it is in Australia, all that kind of stuff. It's what uh, what made you think of like the way that the toilet swirls? I had that question. Yeah, okay. I, I actually didn't know that that was a real thing. I had to look it up because I, I, not that I don't trust the Simpsons as like a. No, you probably taught like a whole generation of like grade schoolers about that. Because I was like the I was water like, swirl thing. <laughs> it's like a real thing. I was like, because like I was starting to get invested. I'm like, I might start calling up people in Australia just to see. <laughs> it is. It is a real. This is the. Th- it's a. You know, it's one of those things that kids always talk about. Like kids have been talking about it since the 50s. I'm sure, and because it, it's one of those things you learn in seventh grade science or whatever. So we. But the thing is, it is a real thing, but it's so mild that it doesn't actually work. Like you have to be in a lab condition. Like this is what we learned subsequently at the time. We didn't care. We were just like, well, okay. we'll just put in what we thought. But subsequently we learned that like the force of the water flushing in a toilet is what makes it swirl. But you have to be in a, this, the Coriolis effect is, which is what it's called is so mild in the Northern and Southern hemisphere that you have to be in a lab and you'd have to be using a microscope to see the difference between the way that the water would swirl. And, and also you wouldn't be able to have any pressure. Like the toilet has pressure making the water, swirl in one way or another but yeah so it was just basically supposed to be like a kids your kind of kids urban legend thing that actually has one of my favorite lines in it um it's such a rare line random line but when he says uh water doesn't follow your rules it goes where it wants like (laughs) i love that line it's so underrated in that but um now that that honestly is one of the i think that episode holds its own to this day, Bar vs. Australia. I think that's one you could show people who've never really watched The Simpsons too much or watched the newer episodes and be like, oh, you got to go back and watch this one. Bar vs. Australia is just, like, phenomenal. Like I said, man, you've been behind some of the greatest episodes of all time, in my opinion. Um, that's just my humble Thank opinion. you. Thank I don't you. know if I Thank matter you. to anyone, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, though, because showrunner, showwriter, really quick before I know Trav wants to get into some Mission Hill stuff, but what's the difference between being a showrunner and showwriter, per se? The showrunner is the boss. The writer is an employee. Okay. You know, like on TV show, the showrunner is in charge of everything um, in, in general. The, the, the showrunner is in charge of not only the, the writing staff, but also in charge of who directs the episodes, who how the episodes are edited, um, and in charge of the actors. He's basically, the show, being the showrunner is like being the director, writer, and producer of a movie all together. That, you know, and, and it's a, a very, they got a lot of responsibility, you got a lot of work, you got a lot of power. The writers are one aspect of the show, you know, like, cause you got the writers, producers, directors, actors, whatever. The writers are generally a group of people and the showrunner, Usually, but not always, is also the head writer, meaning the showrunner says, determines what stories we're going to do. Or he says, I want everybody to come up with a story for Lisa or whatever, and then assigns it to one of the writers. And then when the script comes in, the showrunner says, I want you to change these parts. I want you to improve these parts. We're going to take this part to the room and everyone's going to come up with a better joke here, that kind of thing. And the showrunner leads that along. Usually, sometimes there's writers, showrunners who are not writers, but almost always it is a a writer, the head writer. Was that harder to be the showrunner and like to go from writer to showrunner and maybe certain writers wanted certain topics and you had to be the end all be all and saying, no, I'm not giving that to you. I'm giving that to him. Did that cause any friction at all? <laughs> if it did, I don't think we heard about it. There weren't that many. <clears throat> it wasn't like. Um, I don't recall that many stories that people wanted to do that mm-hmm. didn't get done um, because usually what, what happened was that 
At, remember how I said that we had those things, those story retreats where Jim Brooks and Matt Groening would come? Yeah. That was where it got determined. Everybody would bring their story ideas. And then it would be like, you know, if Brooks didn't like the thing, you're not going to do it. So it's like, it, so they would all be kind of determined by consensus. Um, the sometimes which, which episodes we're going to do would all be determined by which ones Matt and Jim and the showrunner liked. Uh, and then sometimes you'd assign them. Sometimes you have to assign the story to someone who didn't make it up. But generally, people got to write their own stories, too. So it wasn't there wasn't a lot of conflict. That's cool. That's good to hear. Yeah. All right. Um, Simpsons. Awesome show. One of my favorites of all time to this day. Simpsons and Twilight Zone. Everyone knows that. Um, Trav did want to touch on Mission Hill. Um, so great. Yeah, I know, I know you're yeah. excited that because last time you brought it up and we kind of just veered into the Simpsons more. So, Trav, that's okay. Mission Hill, nobody knows. Mission Simpsons Trav been on for texted, 30 years. Yeah. Mission Hill was on for 13 episodes. Yep. Trav texted, yeah. like, I love Mission Hill. I would like to ask him. Yeah. Something. So, I listened to the last episode um, that you guys did two years ago, and I remember you were like you brought up mission hill twice to you know just a, a sea of blank faces because like, yeah. <laughs> and um yeah i i know scott you know recently came friends playing basketball and we um it's like yeah i like no mission hill i love mission like i watch it like you know it's, it's 13 episodes actually i watched i wanted to talk about kind of just the the episodes that didn't get made too um, but yeah, I was dying to talk to you about that because that seemed like the show that like, that was kind of, you know, that was, that seemed more like your baby, that project. I mean, I don't want to, it was entirely our baby. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Let me, I should, I should chime in here just to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about oh, go because most it. people don't don't. Okay. So after Josh and I left the Simpsons in 1988, we created our own animated show. It was called Mission Hill. It was on the WB network back when that short existed, but it was almost immediately canceled because by the time we finished animating the show, it had already become the Teenage Girl Network with Buffy and Roswell and, mm. and Charmed, and it was no longer appropriate for the network. Um, and then it vanished, and then it resurfaced on Adult Swim um, in like 2004, 2005, and they ran the same, our 13 episodes over and over and over again for years. And they also did this in Canada. If you have any Canadian listeners on Teletoon, which is their kind of adult swim cartoon network. And so the show built up this, it only aired late at night and it built up this cult following, which has gotten quite large over the years. Um, but the show is also kind of hard to find because they never, we have it on, they released it on DVD, but without the music and they didn't and whatever. It, and it's basically, it's kind of a bit of lost media. Although now you can find it on YouTube um and so forth but anyway it was josh and, and our josh and my pride and joy it was not created by matt greening it was not run by james l brooks it was entirely us and that's and travis as you said yes this was our baby right and it because it seems like especially in those first episodes it's like uh he's a cartoonist he's it the the animation is like very excessive in these cartoony things and i was just assuming like because it's so focused on just this young guy trying to become a cartoonist that it was like, that's where a lot of you, you were superimposing a little of yourself into that show a little bit. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. So um, I, I love what mission hell and I was watching um, and I watch it like every year or two, basically all the way through. And the thing that sticks out to me about that show is that it's such like a time capsule of the nineties. Cause that show Basically, the world changed once it, you know, you get to 9-11 and that yeah. kind of stuff, right? But so that was like right before, you know, shit went sideways, basically. But I guess um, 
the one episode I want to talk about in particular, I guess there's a couple, but the, the media snow day one, do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? That yeah. is such a nineties thing, like concept to me where it was like, uh, the, did, didn't you hear what the, the president did? No one's working today. And then everyone just kind of takes off. So do you think you can go just what kind of inspired that episode yeah it's hard to describe what inspired that but i mean we still have those days from time to time but they tend to be for bigger things like january 6th Mm -hmm. (laughs) insurrection or whatever where everybody is you know you're at work you're at work and then all of a sudden did you hear that blank happened and nobody works for the rest of the day you know Mm -hmm. and and that's like that's the backdrop for this and we and it was basically a series of intersecting stories um of other stuff because the story it's never completely clear what's going on on mm-hmm. the media snow day and right. and it's several intersecting stories of like andy andy our main character you know having like this incredible encounter with this gorgeous actress that he his dream is coming true but it gets all fucked up by yeah. the medium's media snow day and then everyone else has little inter- intersecting stories that go throughout it um and it all kind of came it comes together because of the, the grammy awards that night which also like a lot of this was pretty prescient because like this was before 9 11 yeah um and there were like there hadn't been a lot of things like this episodes like that ever. And people weren't familiar with this concept at the time, really, but it came, yeah, I think it came together as a really good episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just, I remember just days being like that, like, uh, like the Monica Lewinsky thing, like nobody, like the teachers weren't doing, like, I remember playing like when that week happened, like we were playing like Pokemon in school that day. Cause it was just like, who gave a shit about what's going on? Like no one's paying right, attention yeah. to this. And like, that was kind of the level of what a media snow day would be back then versus like you said, the January 6th insurrection. And even then I, I don't even feel like that was the same thing. It's just like, you like what happened? Why? Like nobody was paying attention. People are used to it now. People are so used to that kind of yeah, thing. Like internet. it comes at, it's a, you get a couple hours, maybe 45 minutes of people looking at the internet and then they're back to normal because every single day now, there's something like that. Yeah. Um, but this is also, remember, it's virtually pre-internet, like the Mission Hill that we still, like you see the Drudge Report in that episode, but there isn't a lot of, there was no Twitter and and there was, the internet was pretty primitive back in that day. Right. So instead of Twitter being like where, I don't know, because there's a part where um, Dennis Rodman is about to make his uh, speech to the nation or whatever. It's like, what, what why yeah. do we care about what Dennis Rodman thinks? <laughs> but then Kevin, that came like, true too. Like with him, him in North Korea, right. like that, that's another thing that, that came true. Like D- Dennis Rodman actually does play a major role in politics from time yeah. to time. Yeah. He's, he's friends with Kim Jong-un. Who would have thought right. you guys predicted things in another show, not just the Simpsons. Yeah. 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 In the, uh, for the animation part of it, did you have anything to do with like the, the design of the characters and like how they would be portrayed? Because I feel like that goes into the writing of it. It's like the actual like, universe of the animation or the setting of the, of the show. Yeah, that was actually, I mean, we had a lot to do with it, but the design was done by Lauren McMullen, who was basically the third, you know, leg of the, of the tripod. It was me and Josh and Lauren. Lauren McMullen is one of the most talented animators there is. And she had animated uh, Simpsons episodes and King of the Hill episodes prior to this. And since then she's gone on to, she had an Oscar nomination for animation. She designed the whole thing uh, kind of based on our desire to make it look like a comic book uh, back in the, in the nineties. That's why the colors are kind of misregistered. It looks like it's a somewhat badly printed color comic book, like in the, in the main title and, and around the show. Um, there was a number of 
really good kind of alternative comic books in the mid to late 90s um, that this was inspired by, as well as movies that were kind of like um, Kevin Smith movies um, around that time, things like that. It was all kind of that alternative, young, slacker type universe that was around in that era. I really like yes, it was supposed to look like that. Yeah, I really like the way that animated shows like I feel like they're all different in their own way, even if they might have the same type of animations. But just like the way that their universe is constructed, yeah. I always like to go into like I like looking at the creativity of like what went behind it, like what what made the person who created it to put it in that setting the way it is. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, I mean, uh, to blow our own horn, we did a great job, Lauren did a great job bringing, you know, giving it a look that was appropriate for the style of the show. Um, and you get that, you know, that's like, that's when it really works well. Like South Park, I can't imagine to be, anim you can't animate it any other way. King of the Hill, you couldn't animate it any other way. Family Guy, same thing. It's like, that's when the look of the show somehow encapsulates the vibe of the show, that's when you know things are going well. Otherwise, like a lot of shows these days, and not to crap on anyone's particular show, seem like the show was made up, then they hired somebody to animate it who had no idea what they were going for. Yeah. You know, or to design it. That just looks, oh, there's very generic looking designs and and worlds in a lot of animated shows on streaming services. These it sounds days. like the world now, when it even comes to music, it sounds like there's one rhythm, one beat, one flow in, in any genre at this point. It's just the simplest yeah. shit now because nobody, nobody appreciates it anymore. That's my opinion. Like I agree with Chris is saying, like it's so cool. It's it's a feeling of euphoria when it, whether it's uh, animation or music when something comes into what you've wanted it to be, and the design yeah. is there. There's no better feeling. There's nothing that could like wow. This is it. Like this is your baby, and it. This is the creation I envision. There's nothing better than yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So from um, one thing I want to just leading into that uh, with just how you kind of themed the show, like the one of my favorite just intros of all time is just that intro for Mission Hill, where it's just like so stylized with like him going up the elevator and then the windows kind of flipping and they're kind of changing yeah. from one window to the next. Like if you were like, you definitely had like an idea of what the theme of the show is and it completely kind of, without you know character saying a thing or you know without any lyrics in the song just completely gets imposed into that theme song so like um was that like who came up with just the idea for that theme song and that intro sequence was that yeah was that you or the, like, uh it was lauren the intro sequence was entirely made up by lauren mcmullen okay. um you know just to illustrate what we had in mind for the show and the song was made up by cake you know the group musical group cake who we loved at that time wrote the song um i think we were expecting them to write an entirely original song but the song is pretty much just a remixed version of italian leather sofa which is a song of theirs that was pretty famous uh -huh. so and i think when the song came in then lauren animated the opening to in in time with the song but she made up the whole thing yeah, yeah. trap uh, yeah go on uh you had one more episode to go to i know bill's I yeah, so uh, so the, the last one is not even one that um, that even got kind of uh, put on the air. It was it's an animatic. You can find it on um, YouTube of the I assume I'm pretty sure is the last episode that you guys put together or were in the process of putting together before the show got canceled. 
uh, the crap gets in your eyes episode where uh, Andy um, kind of like realizes his feelings for his girlfriend. And yeah. I kind of wanted to know what, like where you guys were in the writing process. Like, it seems like the episode is completed. It just needs to be animated. But like, were you guys kind of knowing that like this was the last thing that you were going to write or did it kind of come suddenly and just what kind of inspired that episode in the first place? Uh, it was not, we, we didn't know it was the last thing we thought the show that was uh, okay. There's 13 episodes that actually got made that you right. saw, you've seen, and there's five episodes that got written and partially animated. Um, and because this was, this was during the absolute best part of the show when we were delivering the episodes to the network and they were loving them and they said, we want more. And they ordered five new episodes to be made. Um, and so during that time we had a, a, a huge amount of time to make five episodes. And that's why I think the scripts for those are our best, our best scripts. Uh -huh. So what you, what you're referring to, I think it wasn't the last one. The last one was a kind of a little bit of a cliffhanger about um, maybe Kevin's going to, the parents are going to force Kevin to move back to Wyoming with them because oh, okay. they find okay. that they, they find that there's porno movies being shot in the building. Um, but I think you're talking about the next to last one, which was kind of a thing where Andy, Andy starts dating Jim's secretary and then realizes why, why his girlfriend Gwen is so special. Um, and yeah, it was a good episode. It was very romantic. Aaron Ehaas is one of our best writers. He wrote that script. And what you're referring to is a, is actually a recording of the reading of the script. Correct. That is on YouTube and time to go with the, the storyboards, which are like the comic book version of the show. Um, but it is for anyone who likes the show, you definitely should check that out as well as the other one the other partially animated episode on YouTube, which is uh, freaky weekend and the crappy crud wagon, which is like the road trip episode. And there's, right. um, there's a whole act of that animated on YouTube as well. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I could see that you guys were like really hitting your stride in those land. Like the, the plan nine episode was the other one I wanted to talk about, but I know we're running yeah. well on time, but like, it seems like that those last couple episodes, like, Oh my God, they're like, like now they're really hitting that vibe where it's like, they're hitting that, like very funny visual jokes. They're, the jokes are happening a lot more consistently now. The the characters are like they're, they're fleshing out the side characters. Like like now it's really getting going, and it's canceled. So like yes, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> it is exactly what happened. It's tragic, and we attempted to bring back the show this year um, with the Gus and Wally spinoff, but none of the places. The, all the, there's only six or seven places that buy animated shows and they're all two or three of them are going out of business and collapsing and firing everyone and the other places didn't want it and and because of that i also hope they will go out of business so we were <laughs> mad that the gus and wally show did not get picked up um but any you know i'd be happy to talk about it it was it was basically a continuation of mission Hill. so the, it was it was a continuation of mission hill just with gus and wally is more gus and wally i mean basically okay. that there is it was basically I don't want to take up the whole podcast with this. It basically started about six months after it was still pre 9 11 started about six months after the original series ended. And there were a number of things, small things that had changed. Um, but basically the Gus and Wally story, the Gus and Wally show is basically just mission Hill, but with more episodes like that plan nine. Okay. Because I'm like, yeah, that's a great episode. And to, to everyone that doesn't know what's going on here. Um, so Gus and Wally in that show are like this elderly gay couple and uh, one of them, the kind of more effeminate one, is uh, voiced by Tom Kenny, as, as he voiced many characters in that show. And it's pre-SpongeBob, and I guess he's just figuring out the SpongeBob voice there. But um, <laughs> The SpongeBob the, uh, voice is in a different episode. By the way, this is a yeah. piece of trivia. It's not that episode. 
it's episode five where they go to the sci-fi convention and there's that guy, the little person yeah, in the the, Ewok, uh-huh. Jimmy Briskin. That is the SpongeBob voice before that's SpongeBob. That's yeah, well, that, that's the fully realized SpongeBob voices when he's doing that Ewok thing. But well, um, I could openly say that you may have found the your like number one Mission Hill fan of all mm-hmm. time. In I'm excited. I could go on for hours about about this with Travis, but well, that seems like a different podcast. Yeah. Um, okay. But I know I know you're running low on time. Um, uh, last roundtable thing. I just want to ask one thing. Um, a little preview to your Steamy Awards. Uh, which will be announced at the end of the year. Is there any sandwich you had at this point you could tease that we should stay away from? You know, I haven't had anything that really sucked this year. Um, I have a, and I'll tell you, um, first of all, I don't go out of my way to buy things that suck, but, but, but in general, I do, if if it was a major fast food chain, I would want to try it. Um, This is what I can, this is what I think is going to happen with Burger King. Okay. Uh, that I think there's going. I think we're going to get something that sucks pretty soon <laughs> at Burger King, because what happened is they introduced this sandwich, that chicken sandwich, which was their crispy chicken sandwich, which was excellent, and was rivaled Popeyes because Popeyes is owned by the same company as Burger King. They use the same recipe essentially, and it was the best thing on the Burger King menu. Apparently, it was a huge flop, and they're getting rid of it. So, and they're bringing back a new, they're bringing in a new, cheaper, easier to make chicken sandwich that I think is going to suck. And I think it starts this week, as a matter of fact. So I'll be out there looking for that. Um, it's unfortunate that they got rid of their best sandwich because it was a marketing failure. But I anticipate the replacement, which is basically going to be ch- cheaper and easier for them to make, is going to be a big, big disappointment. All right. So I'll look out for that. Bill, as usual, man, thanks for coming on. But I'll do one last roundtable. Uh, Trav, you got any last words for Bill? Yeah. I mean, uh, Bill, uh, thank you for... Um, yeah, just fielding my questions. It's, I'm a huge fan of pretty much everything you've ever done in your life. So this has been big for me. Well, thank you um, so much. Okay. The big thing uh, I wanted to leave you with before we go is because um, you keep talking about this fast food uh, review stuff. Have you ever watched uh, Report of the Week on YouTube? Have you ever heard of that guy? Of course. I'm very familiar with okay. that guy. He's the king of this. He Well, he and Game Drops are the kings of this genre. Um, and they're the reasons I don't do it on YouTube. I do only do it on Instagram mainly um, because I can't compete with guys who have 2 million followers on YouTube. Those guys have been doing it for years. Uh, Report of the week, I respect immensely. Um, and I, but, uh, and he does the same thing, but he does longer versions of it. And he's also kind of a character in himself, as you yes. guys, I'm sure you know. But yeah, I have watched him and I have watched Dame Drops, who is the guy who invented this genre and had a show on Netflix last year kind of about it so uh those guys yes obviously i aspire to have two million followers and we'll get there someday with the help of guys like you <laughs> okay thank you awesome. uh, Chris, go on. i just want to say it was a pleasure to talk to you i mean i you wrote a lot of your stuff before my time i'm, I'm a little young but um i going back and watching uh, some of the content that you put out it's it really made me laugh and i just want to tell you that um and just real quick before you go because i like a lot of food myself what's your favorite uh, fast food chicken sandwich. This is a whole discussion, but I will tell you the short version is that it's po- it's Popeyes. Okay. Um, Popeyes. Like, nobody yeah, has way. nobody has beaten Popeyes. Burger King came close with the chicken, but that's gone now um, because they were using the Popeyes recipe. I will also say that for the very first time last week, I had Zaxby's, which is and I, you probably don't have Zaxby's. No, there, 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 Zaxby's. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Zaxby's, I would say, may tie is may maybe a tie. Their yeah. signature chicken sandwich for for Popeyes. 
Okay. Uh, and if you want to know the winners, which I'm sure will be in the running, you could watch Bill's Instagrams at the end of the year where he does the announcements. And, we'll, we'll and not only that, you don't have to wait. You can get on. You can join the Steve Ham Society today. I can and discuss yeah. it with me online for, for you know for as little as five dollars a month. <laughs> that is we'll, true. We'll go into a deep dive. There's something about the reveal though that I love. Like at the end of the year where you put the suit on. Well, you're you, the, the the top yes. half of the suit on. The, and- the pageantry, the pageantry of it all is 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 part of the is a December tradition. It really does just work. But uh, anyway, Bill, thanks for coming on. I'm sure we'll have you on in January for the Steamy Awards review again if you're willing to come on. So absolutely, of course.